Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 105 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, so yes. After uh, the previous episode where we talked all about all the national news and drama that's been going on in the world of uh, college football over the past couple months, now we're going to focus in on the Nebraska side of things. And while it's not quite as crazy as the uh, the national side of things, there has been quite a lot that has changed since we last did a podcast in June. Uh, so yes. we'll, we'll be getting into that here. Uh, but before we do, uh, we're going to do our tradition and crack a beverage. Uh, this time it's yes. my turn. Um, this is a uh, Firestone Walker Brewing Company beer titled 805. And where is Firestone Brewing Company? Is that near you in north of L.A. or is it somewhere else? Uh, I have no idea. I did not actually buy this beer. So we'll see if it's any good. Great research. (laughs) Hey, you're the one who's always done the research on the beers. I've never done that. (laughs) That's your niche on this podcast. Yeah, my niche. Yes. The uh, biggest piece of news um, that happened uh, not too long after our last podcast, which was in around mid-June, this was around June 25th, uh, it was announced that Bill Moose, the athletic director at the University of Nebraska, would be retiring, uh, which was a not-so-subtle way of saying that he had been let go uh, from the university, um, which uh, caught me quite off guard because... Obviously, he had, uh, you know, the Scott Frost hire has been a pretty mixed bag for him. But I know that in other programs, he had uh, hired a lot of folks that people liked, you know, our basketball program and baseball, you know, things like that have been, you know, doing better than they were before he got there. And, you know, getting involved with some projects in terms of construction uh, for athletic facilities and things like that. So I Having not following it too closely, I was under the impression that he was doing a pretty good job. Um, but after this news came out, I learned that he had been uh, off campus quite a bit and had been taking a pretty hands-off approach. And a lot of the people at the athletic director office had been handling a lot of his work for him, was the way that this person made it sound, at least. Um, and so that this had been something that had kind of been building up behind the scenes for quite a while. Um, what What's your read on that situation? I think that's a fairly accurate description. You know, he he did uh, accomplish quite a few really great things, and and uh, it's interesting to uh, to hear people talk about uh, very optimistically uh, about where we think we are positioned as an athletic department. Uh, you know, over the you know the the coming years now, and and you got to credit uh, uh, Bill Moose with putting us uh, in the position to be in that spot, right? Uh, that it's kind of better now than it was before. Now on the financial paper side of things, right? The, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the actual uh, balance sheet in the, in the book, so to speak, is not very good, right? We now, how much of that can you fault him for? Cause a lot of that was COVID, right? And that we had, to, we had to dip into our uh, emergency fund, so to speak, to uh, sustain things. And we, and, you know, Bill had to lay off a lot of people or furlough a lot of people for a long time and things of that nature, but that wasn't unique to just Nebraska. So, um, 
but I, I would say the, the thing that kind of uh, helped escort him to the door a little bit was the fact that he was um, um, kind of taking advantage given his age and circumstance, uh, the fact that he owns a ranch out west. He was spending an awful lot of time out there, not as much time you know, here in Nebraska. He was uh, obvious in his absence. At some key events, you know, we won a national championship in in uh, in uh, bowling. Uh, he was not in attendance. Um, we won a, a Big Ten championship and uh, had some very successful wins during the NCAA tournament in baseball. And he wasn't visible uh, enough in the eyes of a number of people. So I think that that uh, accumulation of that and some other things off the field related uh, fundraising and or spending money. Uh, that all kind of led to saying, we're not sure you're the guy to lead us at this point. You know, he made some good hires and hopefully, and even the Scott Frost hire, you know, yes, it's been a mixed bag. That has nothing to do with Bill Moose. Bill Moose got the guy that most everyone in Nebraska wanted. Okay. It was a very popular hire when it occurred. And, um, uh, and he has given Scott for the most part free reign to do whatever he needed to do. And he has worked to get Scott, whatever he wanted. Right. So, so uh, that's exactly what an athletic director is supposed to do is support his coaches. And so from that standpoint, I don't think there was anything wrong. I, I know that uh, John Cook, who's, you know, also got a lot of carries a lot of weight uh, within the coaches uh, community in at UNL. And he, he had very fond and positive things to say about uh, Bill Moose. So, so, you know, it is what it is. It's a, it was a business decision that the leadership of the university decided to go in that direction. And really all it was doing was kind of accelerating uh, the time frame of, uh, I think Bill was planning on retiring, but I have a feeling that he was thinking he was going to do it after this football season was over, like in January or something that he would depart. Um, so it's just, it just pulled it forward about six months. Okay. Okay. I, I guess I had forgotten that when Bill Moose was originally hired, because um, at the time I remember we were talking very positively about the uh, him coming on. Um, but was it always kind of expected then that it was going to be a pretty short term? Uh, yes, situation because I mean, uh, he was he was effectively um, he he uh, was the athletic director at, at Oregon, and then um, kind of semi retired. Then he took the job at Washington State, which is his alma mater. Uh, and that was that was supposedly going to be his final stop, right? Like he was kind of coming home, and he had a he has a ranch out west there, and and so that was going to be you know kind of his final stop. And then um, and then the Nebraska opportunity came along, and he decided, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna step into this and do it, which he did. Um, and uh, but I mean, he's an older guy, right? He, he, so energy wise and commitment level to be the you know, super active, younger AD like we have now, that's just wasn't in the cards. So he was always going to be a guy that didn't have a long tenure. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think, I think if it, if it was only up to him, he would have departed it at a time a little bit later. I think he would have liked to have uh, watched uh, more progress uh, occur with, uh, with uh, coach Frost, you know, maybe having a, a bowl victory kind of celebration at the end of this year is would have been a vision of his, you know, uh, to say, okay, I, I got to oversee the, the, the beginning of the turnaround in football and then to see uh, what, what would go on with the basketball team, which looks poised to also take a step in the right direction this, this fall or this winter. 
Um, I mean, th- those would have been cool things for him to be able to experience and see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that makes so. sense. Um, and you referenced it earlier, but um, we ended up hiring a young guy uh, to replace him and a name familiar to Nebraska fans out there, Trevor Alberts, a former linebacker uh, at Nebraska back in the 90s. And yep, one he, of my favorites. Yep. And he was also uh, the athletic director at uh, University of Nebraska, Omaha. Um, it was interesting when I was looking at the commentary when he got hired, it seemed pretty mixed because he's not the most popular for what he did at uh, Nebraska uh, Omaha because he um, he discontinued both the football program and the wrestling program there. Correct. Uh, exactly. I, I guess it's like a, a budget balancing thing because then the other programs have done better. But, you know, obviously he uh, he wasn't very popular uh, for that decision. Correct. Um, he he made he made some very very difficult decisions, and you could always argue because you know um, you can always project what might have been right and say, well, he could have done some other things to enhance the revenue side that would have allowed them to keep those two sports, or, or at least wrestling, uh, because it was you know very very successful um, um, at that at the Division Two level, I think it was that he was at. Um, but uh, when he went in there, he assessed the circumstance and made the determination that they couldn't wait, that they didn't have time to try to uh, increase revenue and, and basically, you know, uh, um, gain money out of, and get out of the situation that way. It was far, far better for him to consolidate and focus in on the sports that were remaining so that they could all be successful and the budget would fit and then we'll grow the budget as well. And that's what he ended up doing. It, it was a decision. Obviously, not everybody agreed with it, but he followed through on it. And at the end of the day, most people, as he's leaving UNO to take this job, have to acknowledge, even the ones that didn't like it, that the that the program was in much better shape financially and in terms of its success uh, uh, within the competitions that they were still competing in than when he got there. So. Right. So to me, that's what he's supposed to do. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm never going to question his love for the University of Nebraska. The guy is, uh, uh, he, he bleeds red as, as much as anybody I could, you know, identify. Right. And the, the other uh, thread I was seeing at the time when he got hired was that it, the impression seemed to be that he was not our first choice you know, that maybe he was a second or a third choice because obviously he's a hometown guy. And so, of course, he would love right. to be the athletic director um, at Nebraska. And he's a younger guy, too, you know, so doesn't have as much right. experience as some other guys we could have chosen. Um, but but maybe because of that budget balancing, you know, effectiveness that he showed at Omaha, do you think that's part of the reason why they brought him over? Well, <clears throat> there's a couple of things. I, I think it's absolutely accurate to say that he wasn't the um, um, top uh, choice. The uh, well, it wasn't the top choice outwardly of all the people who were involved in this decision, right? But he was the top choice of the most important guy, right? Who was the president? Hmm. Okay, because the president of the uh, of the University of Nebraska is president over all of. Uh, the universities. Uh, so University of Nebraska Omaha, University of Nebraska Lincoln, University of Nebraska Kearney are all part of that. And then each of them have a chancellor, right? 
that that runs those individual. And so we have a chancellor at University of Nebraska Lincoln. There's a chancellor at University of Nebraska Omaha. Okay, you, you follow me structurally? Right. And uh, the president of University of Nebraska had great um, relationship with Trev and always thought he would be a great guy to, to put in that position. So I think he was probably uh, Ted's um, um, choice from the very beginning. Okay. But a lot of the uh, um, board of regents and those folks may have had other things in mind, other, other people who, because the fear with someone like Trev Albers is he has never been a, a division one, you know, power five AD before never. Okay. So why, why, why wouldn't we go out and get somebody who was already a proven commodity, like the Pollard fella from Iowa state, who's turned that program uh, that athletic depart- department around has done really well. And I think either had his children went to University of Nebraska. Like, the, you know, he had some connections to the University of Nebraska. So there was some uh, thought that if he had been offered the job at the right kind of compensation, that he would have taken it. Okay. Um, uh, because of the Big Ten, being, getting into the Big Ten, right? From the Big 12 uh, as an right. AD, that, that would be a feather in your cap, a step up, so to speak. Um but he turned it down, supposedly, or he didn't pursue it, however you want to say it. Um, but the b- bottom line is, is that, you know, w- unless you were involved in the actual room, you don't know that. It's all speculation. I think our our president got exactly the guy he wanted. And, uh, you know, we'll wait and see. But I have a feeling that Trev, because of his leadership style and his energy, uh, has as good a chance of being the right fit for Nebraska and our culture as anyone we could have chosen. And I know he's a bright guy. Mm-hmm. Trev is a very bright man. He was an academic All-American, you know, in college. Um, so he's he's not an idiot. And um, and again, this is mostly that that role is mostly about uh, shaking hands and treating people uh, the right way so that you lead the organization and letting the people who you have in your organization do their jobs and then you look good right right uh, i mean so it's mostly a glad handing and a relational uh role that's what the ad does he raises money and he makes sure that right. execu- on the executive side the execution side that his underlings are doing their shit well i think he can do both of those things reasonably really well right so well he'll, and, he'll be fine and once again if you know if Moose was a problem for one reason or another, then getting somebody who's quite the opposite, you know, a young guy, um, somebody who won't have any problem living in Nebraska, you know, uh, being present on campus and doing all those, you know, handshake events, like you're saying, uh, plus the added kind of star power he has for being a former, you know, star, star Nebraska player, you know, will certainly uh, help him out here in the state. I agree. Now, the thing that he doesn't bring is, he doesn't have the credibility um, to immediately be a, a mover and a shaker within the Big Ten Conference. However, because of his youth and the possibility of him being a long tenured AD for us, and if 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 you'd like, if you're a believer that you know um, that um, the coaches that that Bill Moose hired are the right guys, then he has a chance to have a period of stability. With his within his major coach hires, right, and and really be around for a long time, and and as time goes on, he will 
he will accumulate the credibility needed to be a, a mover and a shaker uh, within the Big Ten Conference. Yeah. He's not there now, but he could be. Right. He's got he's positioned to do that. Right. Well, an interesting uh, challenge has been thrown his way here early on into his tenure as athletic director because it was just announced here in the past week from when we're recording this podcast that uh, the Nebraska football program is under NCAA investigation. Uh, specifically in this case, it's about um, analysts and consultants on the uh, football team talking directly with players when, according to the NCAA rules, only coaches are allowed to actually coach, coach. players. You know, an analyst Correct. is supposed to just be in the background. And I believe this right. is specifically directed at our, our former special teams analyst, uh, Jonathan Rutledge. Well, um, he's one of them. But there's also uh, there were also practices that were held uh, during times when apparently practices weren't supposed to be happening. So we, it's it's not just, hey, this guy was coaching um, players when he's not supposed to be because he's just an analyst. Uh, we are uh, also guilty of actually scheduling and having coaches present during a time frame and a practice when coaches weren't supposed to be with players, right? Because uh, there's a bottle, there's a ton of rules about that. Right. But um, but it happened, I, if I understand correctly, during this last year, during COVID, there were a lot of periods of time where it was kind of up in the air what the NCAA's real rules were and stuff. And 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 to my understanding, we're not the only university that's being investigated for this. There's like a dozen. Okay, I know A and M is under investigation. They have publicly announced it. University of Michigan has a coach that that is being, uh, uh, is under investigation. So it's not just Nebraska. Okay. I think Nebraska is, is getting more press because it's Nebraska, right? I mean, we, we, we eat our young all the time. And, uh, so anything negative, we, we blow it up immediately because we have so many people covering our sports, uh, teams. Um, and then secondly, I think it's because there's an acknowledgement that there's video uh, of these practices. So, I, I don't think I think we're participating or, uh, you know, you know, we're we're being cooperative with the NCAA. I, I think we, we know we're, quote, quote, guilty. Uh, so it's just a matter of going through the process and just figuring out what the penalty is going to be. But uh, I, I don't think we're trying to fight it or say, oh, we're not guilty. I think it's more of a we weren't the only ones. And uh, oh, by the way, um, uh, you know, you, we'll we'll take we'll take whatever you give us. But. Keep in mind that we're not the only ones, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I would put my, my, you know, you can make me play Russian roulette if I was wrong, um, that Alabama is guilty of the same thing, that Georgia is guilty of the same thing, you know, um, yeah. Uh, that that, uh, that may well be true. Um, I was listening to a different uh, Nebraska podcast on YouTube, and they were talking about this whole situation, and they made the point, well, it may very well be true that, you know, uh, everybody has been doing it, you know, to some degree or another with all this COVID weirdness, like you say. Uh, but then right. why were we stupid enough to get caught with it and caught with right. video, no less? Right. And, and, uh, and obviously it didn't help. <laughs> right. Um, and an additional aspect, uh, this isn't 
it's not clear if this is part of the investigation or not, but in this report that came out about this, um, there was also apparently uh, workouts that were uh, done offsite uh, last year uh, during COVID when there weren't supposed to be any workouts. Um, it's okay. not it's not clear if that's part of the investigation, but that's been brought up as another possible right. allegation against us. Right. Yep. Well, there's there's no doubt that we were we were working very hard to try to move forward because I I, I feel like probably going into the last season, Scott was was very anxious to get the the bad taste from the previous year out of his mouth and 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 try to get that program going in the positive direction. Now, ironically, as it turned out, uh, we didn't have that positive move that he thought was about to occur, and, and that was uh, that's a very big piece of humble pie that he has had to eat as a result mm-hmm. uh, because I gen- I genuinely believe that he thought, you know, this last year, our COVID year, which did not go well for us was going to go really well. And then it, and then it didn't. Right. right? So, no, so it definitely did not. Um, yeah. And um, as we were talking about before the podcast, um, this isn't going to be, you know, uh, a super serious situation where we're going to like, you know, have our recruits limited or, you know, have to uh, forfeit games or anything like that, you know, especially since, as you said, we're being cooperative with the NCA and things like that. Um, but it does seem like there will be, you know, punishments of some kind, you know, right. Uh, maybe limiting practice, how many practices we can do or, you know, something along those lines. Right. I- I'm sure, you know, they almost always punish you with some combination of diminished recruiting uh, so that, you know, because that's the way it really hurts a school. They use the opportunity at the NCA to collect money. You know, it's, it's like, you know, a, a, a township trying to make sure that they fund the, uh, their, their activities. So they get some, um, uh, speed traps going and collect a bunch of, of, uh, speeding tickets. Right. So there's going to be a money, there's going to be a money exchange that has to happen. And then, um, yes, there might be some limitation. Like we might have some of our spring practices taken away from us or something, um, next year. Uh, or this coming season or whatever. Right. But I, 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 I don't think it's something that's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is death penalty worthy. And this is a atrocious, you know, issue of, of trying to seize some kind of an advantage. No, this was just a team that really, really, really wanted to play. And they, uh, they bent the rules um, stupidly. And like you say, very, very, very much not thinking they were ever going to get caught. Right. Like they were loose right. with that. And right. It's just stupid. Or like you say, maybe it was a genuine misunderstanding because like the code right. rules kept changing so much, you know, who, right. who knows right. how they'll spin it. But I think there are two factors this will have beyond whatever the punishment is. Um, one, it's a little specter that will, uh, you know, kind of be floating over the team in a year where we already have a hard schedule and Frost really needs to perform, you know, so... Uh, there's a possibility it could have a bad mental effect on the team, which obviously isn't great. And number two, uh, on the presumption that this season goes poorly and, um, you know, Trev Alberts and the rest of the leadership in Nebraska are considering firing Scott, um, it may present a opening for them to be able to say, hey, this these problems happen under your watch that we got investigated for. So we don't have to pay you out as much money for your right. contract or whatever legal right. 
So we could use it as firing for cause is the term. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't think Trev Albers has any intention of doing that. I don't think the university has any intention of doing that. I genuinely believe that, that, uh, the, the university leadership is still very much behind Scott. Now there's a bunch of fans that are unhappy. Sorry about that. There's a bunch of fans that are unhappy. There might even be some board of regions that are unhappy and would like to see a change because you know, I mean, it, it's amazing how, you know, Scott Frost having a, you know, uh, an, uh, an evening or an event where he goes and, uh, you know, um, uh, has some fun with friends and all of a sudden he's not taking football seriously enough. Like, because you sucked last year, you don't get to have any fun. You know, right. we, we can't see you out <laughs> with your friends at the golf course, you know, imbibing in a few adult beverages and having a good time because you sucked last year and, and you should be miserable and you should be working your ass off 24 hours a day to make your football team better. And if you're not, then you're not taking this seriously. That sounds like you know Nebraska I mean? fans. All right. Well, that's right. And, and so that's what ends up happening. And then that all of a sudden, oh, next thing goodness. you know, you know, he's got a drinking problem. Next thing you know, he's got marital problems, blah, blah, blah. And you know, those things might be true, but I'm more inclined to believe that that's, that's Nebraska fans being, um, it's exaggerating and making a mountain or a one-time event because they saw him drunk at, you know, the local um, country club that they belong to together uh, or out in Western Nebraska somewhere with his buddies because, you know, you know, and he was spitting his chew because he chews, you know, so he looks like an old cowboy, uh, unshaven and stuff. Um, All of a sudden people have an attitude that like he doesn't care or he's not trying hard enough or whatever. So there's those things that you're constantly having to try to suppress. Right. Well, let me ask you this, because I I believe we talked a little bit on our last podcast. We talked about the the schedule we had for the upcoming season and along with the spring game and all that stuff. Um, I guess two podcasts ago, technically. Um, But if we have another four win season or worse this year, do you think Scott Frost is fired? Because I think he is. Um. I think because of a change in athletic director, no. I think that no matter what, he's going to get next year. I think after next year, if 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 a series of steps and progress have has not taken place, then I would say he's fireable. But mm-hmm. I don't believe Trev Albers. If he only won three games this year, Trev Albers is not firing him. Trev Albers is putting a, a bunch of very specific. Uh, uh, goals that he would have to achieve in the following year that might be extremely hard for him to accomplish. Okay. So effectively you're telling him your walking papers are going to come to you in a year. Right. So get your, get your uh, life in order. Right. Uh, But you don't do it right at that moment. Then that buys time for Trev to build his list, make his informal contacts and, and, and get the right guy. Right. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen this year. I mean, I, I think some more accusations or things from the investigation would have to come out that made it really obvious that Scott was really going sideways to the NCAA rules and was just uh, being an idiot. Uh, then maybe he he would feel like his hands are tied and he has to do it. But I don't think Trev has any intention of firing Scott, mm-hmm. even if it's three wins. Right. Well, and I suppose you 
if if this is another bad year, we could kind of go with the, well, it's another COVID year. You know, we've got these things to deal with. You know, everybody's kind of struggling with X or Y, you know, so the, there is that aspect to it, too. Um, but I, you know, <laughs> as as you just said, you know, the fans are already, you know, some of them are already asking for his head. And if we have another bad year, four bad years in a row, uh, they'll really the mob will really be uh, getting feisty. Right. I totally agree. So, but uh, yeah, so Scott is quote, quote, safe for this year. All right. But I believe Scott is competitive enough and certainly wants to succeed at Nebraska, has every intention that he's going to succeed at Nebraska and believes he can. His biggest problem is I think he does have some blind spots in his own coaching history uh, because he's never coached in a league like the Big Ten. And it's taken him a while to figure out just how different this league is than some of the softer leagues that he's coached in before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pac-12 is not the Big Ten. It is not. Now, that's not to say that Pac-12 teams don't have success when they compete inter, um, you know, interconference games, um, you know, like the Rose Bowl and stuff. The Pac-10 does very well against the Big Ten schools, and part of that has to do with, you know, time of year temperatures, you know, all that sort of stuff. But the physicality, uh, the the incredible consistency of coaching, because every school in the Big Ten is good. Every school in the Big Ten has uh, nice facilities, if not spectacular facilities. They've all got money, you know. Uh, and so every one of them is capable of beating your ass and has coaches that are preparing their teams well. And that wasn't always the case in the previous stops that he had, you know. He was going up against guys where he was he had the clear advantages. And in the Big Ten, that's not true. In the Big Ten, you're just another team. And so uh he he's had to figure that out. It's been a very, very hard lesson. Yes. Um, but we're gonna transition to something more positive here. Um yeah, okay. and uh talk about um because as I mentioned on the our Episode uh, 103, we discussed the spring game and spring practice um, and all that sort of stuff. And so now, of course, we're here to talk about fall camp and how all that's gone in preparation for our first game of the year against Illinois, a Big Ten team in the first game of the year. Um, So uh, what do you have to say about what you've been reading uh, online about uh, fall camp? Well, uh, you know, the the first thing is, is that with the exception of uh, losing um, some really important time, you know, practice reps for some guys who haven't been able to practice because of some um, um, uh, lingering kind of issues. Uh, We've had uh, a pretty good um, camp uh, in terms of staying healthy, right? We've, we've lost some tight ends and uh, that are going to be out for a a bit. uh, And so that hurts us in that, at that position, which, you know, going into the season, we thought was going to be a strength. And, and it's amazing how, you know, a, a, a depth situation can change so rapidly because of a couple of injuries, but that's just the way it happens. It just seems to happen that way. Um, I think in general, they feel good about things. Uh, what I'm hearing that is not so good is that, um, uh, you know, we've got a very young offensive line. I think it's an offensive line that frankly has pretty good talent because we've recruited that, that position pretty well in recent years. Um, but, uh, they're just not there yet. 
both maturity wise and physically wise, right? Uh, they look the part. We, we finally have guys that have the frames and the size that we're looking for. They just don't have the experience and, and the maturity in the weight room. So I think we're going to struggle to be dominant offensively along the offensive line. I'm hopeful that as the season progresses, the offensive line will get better and better. But that's a, that's a big question mark. Um, I think a lot of the other issues, they've found answers for. I think we've got a pretty solid wide receiving core that's going to maybe surprise the analysts. Uh, I think we have some pretty good options at running back. Uh, we don't have the bell cow that Scott Frost wants. We don't have that one guy. but I, uh, So it's going to be still a kind of a running back by committee, even though Scott doesn't want to do that, because um, we've got a lot of guys who are pretty darn talented. And I think he's hoping that in these first three games, that one of those three or four guys that are in the mix right now, one of them emerges and becomes that bell cow, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then defensively, uh, we've got an awful lot of returning defenders, um, uh, some pretty darn good talent, a lot of experience. So there's a, a reasonable amount of optimism that our defense is going to be pretty good. Now, the biggest question to me is, centers on two things. It's that third stool, right? The third uh, uh, leg of the stool, which is uh, uh, kicking game or special teams. What is going to go on with that? And you, we were just mentioning that the Rutledge, Rutledge uh, analyst who was, who was supposedly our, our, our main you know, special teams guy last year, uh, you know, didn't last long. And um, so we're hopeful that the new approach is better. And we have a, a pretty decent returning kicker. Um, uh, so field goals should be in pretty good hands, but we don't have somebody with that powerful leg that can kick it out of the end zone every time. So we're letting teams get good uh, field position on us pretty regularly last year. Well, that's got to get better. So if, if those things all get better, and then the, the, the self-inflicted stuff, penalties and turnovers. Right. We, if we get rid of those things and start playing like a mature defense should – and not have one guy getting ejected every damn game for targeting, okay? Um, and and we don't have, you know, our quarterback who doesn't who seems extremely athletic, but doesn't seem to know how to jump properly, so so as to get extra yards. I mean, it just blows me away how often he gets uh, his weight distributed in a very precarious and dangerous situation every time he tries to. Uh, dive forward for a uh, on a, at the end of a run he always ends up with his head below his legs and then now he's being turned upside down and now you know the safety and and protection of his head and his neck and his life is is priority <laughs> and so the ball goes bouncing all over everywhere it's just bizarre to me i don't understand how that happens but you watch him dive and it's like what the hell is he doing Right. Why are those legs way up in the air like that? Yeah. Well, um, well, I'll say from the the small bits I've read, um, I believe Scott said recently that he was feeling much better about special teams and that he thinks that we do have some guys who can uh, kick it in the end zone uh, consistently. Yeah. Now, uh -huh. you know, we'll see if that's more than just talk, you know, because there's a exactly. lot of positive talk coming out of fall camp last year and we saw mm -hmm. all that turned out. 
Um, and I've also read that, you know, they've been having uh, plenty of refs at a lot of the uh, a lot of the practices and that Scott has really been emphasizing that, saying that, like, this is a good team if we just don't beat ourselves, you know. So I, and I agree with that. Um, so I think he is aware of that, you know, and been trying to coach on that. Uh, but, right. well, you know, it's all it's all about, like, how you perform on game day, you know, in that pressure situation. Exactly. Um, we'll believe it. We'll believe it when we see it. Yep. Yep. Cause I mean, that's, that's the thing. If, if, you know, with all the other stuff, like you said about the offensive line and like special teams and all that, you know, those are all also very important, but if we just turn the corner on like cutting down the penalties and turnovers that alone does so much for like our teams of the past three years. I, I would agree. Yeah. Scott Frost is probably a 500 coach or maybe, uh, uh you know, three or four games above 500 in his three years if he just doesn't lead the league in turnovers and penalties. Right. I mean, the, the, he's, he's had so many one, one uh, possession game losses. You know what I mean? Like he lost by three here. He lost by two here. He lost by six here and that sort of stuff. And in many of those games, we had the lead in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. but we weren't, we weren't able to keep it. In fact, I just, I just watched one where we did end up winning the game uh, it was Purdue of last year, but there was an occasion there where we were on, we were like blowing these guys out. The one thing we couldn't do is give up uh, a big play. This was like in the fourth quarter. There's like 14 minutes left or whatever. All we have to do is just keep them out of the end zone, make them march the length of the field, which we'd been doing the whole, the whole game. We'd been, you know, kind of holding them down. And what happens in the next play? Two of our uh, players run into each other and uh, fall down while pursuing uh, a potential interception. And then their receiver catches the ball and runs unencumbered for 85 yards and a touchdown. I, um, I feel like I repressed and, that memory, but you're making it come back. <laughs> and then, and then, and then in, in that same sequence, uh, uh, we then get the ball, um, move it ourselves, whatever. They get the ball back, but we've, we've flipped the field on them. So they're deep and uh, back in there against their own end zone. You know, we just have to defend them. And then we have two penalties on one play that gives them 30 yards. So instead of forcing them to punt, they get 30 yards of penalties, not one 15 yard personal foul penalty, but two. Uh, and they both apply, you know, right. weird shit like that. And that's the kind of stuff that totally turns the momentum of games and makes a, a game in which we were dominant. We were beating them soundly into a close game. And, you know, we did that against Northwestern and lost. We did that. I mean, yeah, my blood pressure. <laughs> yeah, um, well, let's stop. Quit while you're ahead there, Dad. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but so those are the examples, though, of what we can't do. Now, now I know that we're talking. Uh, let's shift our focus to Illinois, unless you wanted to speak about something else, because I'm ready to dive in on Illinois. That's that's where I was going to. Um that's a game that we lost last year uh 41-23. So exactly. pretty brutal. And it it was. That well, uh the, the bottom line was is that it, it was amazing uh where they were um getting the ball to start um some of their drives, right? right. Uh turnovers. We we just we literally gifted them like 21 points in that game. Additionally, we let them basically pound the rock and, and drive the ball down our throats. And so, um, 
we simply can't let them do that again. But the truth is, is that the vast majority of that team that just kicked our ass last year is back, right? Because right. uh, they have more of these super seniors than any other team in the Big Ten. So of all of the schools for you to play in your very first game of a super critical season, you know, we get a team that's a team that we should beat, that on paper we have more talent than they do. But uh, they have this enormous um, uh, experience and senior presence. Uh, they have like 40-some seniors uh, because of this whole COVID uh, situation. And we're now we're playing them at home, at their home. Um, uh, so all of our youth is having to play its first game on the road, right. uh, which presents its own set of circumstances. And, uh, and, and this gets to my final point about, about uh, the lead up to this game, which is as I look at our schedule and, you know, we, we've talked uh, about, you know, is this a season where Scott's on the hot seat and stuff? I can tell you that as a, as a Nebraska fan, and if, if you don't want to hear the, have a whole season where everybody's already clamoring for Scott's head. Okay. Um, this is an absolute positively must win situation because if, if we were to win this game, then we have the next two games against opponents that we're, we're going to be, I'm going to say significantly favored to win. Right. Uh, so the chances would then be good that we would start three and to me, that's super critical because then that fourth game is, of course, Oklahoma. We're going to get our asses hit by them. And then we come back and we play our first conference game, which is, I mean, our, our, our second conference game, which is Michigan State, right? And that's another game with a new, newer coach, a chance for us to, to win. You know, where, again, on paper, we have better talent. So are we going to be the four and one that paper says we should be? Or are we going to be some version less than that? Are we going to end up two and two or worse, one and three, right? Um, um, and to me, anything less than three and one and this, because the remainder of the schedule after that becomes eminently harder. And uh, there's just no way around it. Even with a three and one start, we are probably looking at six or seven wins. Um, you know, we would have to steal an upset here and there to get any better than that. So that's why this Illinois game is so damn critical to set that tone and to establish that we can actually play 60 minutes of reasonably clean football and win. I guarantee you that the coach that, uh, who used to be Wisconsin's coach and who kicked our ass when he was the coach at Wisconsin is telling his team, listen, guys, you guys are more disciplined than that team. You have more mental toughness than that Nebraska team. If you guys just keep your nose to the grindstone, just keep doing what we're doing, believe in what you're being taught by us, we will wear this team down and we will beat them just like we did last year. Right. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that on the episode 103 of the podcast, I believe then you were talking about the either that Michigan State game or the falling game, which is against Northwestern as like the the key turning points in the year, because that's more towards the middle of the season and will be really big Correct. for, you know, if we can kind of keep some momentum, if we're doing well that, by that point or it's exactly, you know, just falling. But down. now as I've as I've looked at this season, I realize that this Illinois game is an absolute must. It's just an absolute must. And, and that's why I, I, I describe it as the most important game in the Scott Frost era. 
because if he wins this game, then it allows him to make that Northwestern game really, really relevant, mm-hmm. right? If, if we don't win this game, then the Northwestern game is just, just our, our, our last bastion of hope that we could scrabble and find a way to six wins. If we win this Illinois game and we find ourselves at, at four and one going into that Northwestern game, now we can have a season that might actually represent a true indication of a beginning of a turnaround. Right. And I was also going to bring up what you had mentioned there that uh, Illinois has a new coach. Now, it is worth noting, as you said, that they this coach used to be at Wisconsin, who beat us really badly that year. Um, so, you know, they they kind of know something about beating up Nebraska. Uh, but at the same time, yep. even though they have all those super seniors from last year coming back, um, I don't know how much they're planning on changing up their system or whatever. But I'll, whenever there's a new coach uh, there's always that, that kind of transition. Um, so they'll be coming in, you know, trying some new things for the first time as well. Absolutely. And yeah, they're, you're uh, supposedly changing their defense from a four, three base to a three, four base. Their defense was not very good last year. We moved the ball quite readily against them last year. And if it wasn't for the fact that we were turning it over all the time, we would have been one with 40 points. Okay, so and and so even though they have a bunch of returning starters on defense, I still think we should be able to move the football against them. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's all good stuff. Right. Uh, but but um, the the problem is going to be their defensive line against our offensive line. They have a a, a a a good defensive line. We have a very young offensive line. Their offensive line, as an example, has more starts than I think any other division one football team, like 119 previous starts among their uh, five players. So um, their offensive line is, which is an offensive line that had great success against us last year, basically pounded it down our throats and we couldn't stop them is back. And this coach is well known, uh, you know, because of his, his, his time at uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, uh, is is a guy who obviously is deep rooted in the ability to just have a great, great offensive line that just dominates. Right. Yep. That's what they're known for. Right. So, so it's scary. The matchup is not ideal. Right. It, it would have been great if if we were playing them in the second or third game as opposed to the very first game. Right. This first game thing where you don't have any film on this guy and his new staff. Uh, and what they're really going to be trying to accomplish is a huge disadvantage for uh, a Nebraska team that's as fragile, and that's the problem. We are not mentally tough. We are a bunch of wimpy. I mean, we're made of glass. And a few bad things happen, and it's, oh, my God, here we go again, and it's self-destruction time, okay? We need a team that believes in itself, that believes in its coaches, you know, trust your training like our, our great volleyball coach, speaks on all the time trust your training and you're going to be fine well i don't think we're there because there's not been enough success for our players to genuinely buy into that so we need to have good things happen we need to have success and we you know so this can't be some nail biter for this to go right for nebraska we need to kick their ass i don't know whether we can or not but that's what we really need we need to send a message dominate and be the be the team that our that our uh, talent says we should be. Right. Well, I was going to say, 
that um, we did beat them not last year, but the previous year. Um, Mm -hmm. And I personally would, you know, I'll settle for us just winning, you know, if we're not dominant, you know, that I would prefer that obviously, but, uh, oh, but I'll, I'll oh, just take the win. Um, you're absolutely right. I, I, I'm, a, I'm in agreement. I'll, I, I'll take a one point win. I'm just telling you from a psychology standpoint that, that, right. uh, uh, if, if, if it gets tight in the fourth quarter, bad things are going to happen for Nebraska. Right. And, obviously, and we're not going to end up winning. Obviously it'd be better if we were playing him at home versus away. That's another little thing against us. Um, but I mm-hmm. was remembering that last year um, when we played them, we had actually just come off of beating Penn state, which is obviously an upset. Um, and so, you know, there was some, pos- and we were playing at home. Right. And so there was some positive momentum on the team at the time. And, you know, this is me doing a little psychology reading, but perhaps, you know, maybe a little bit of overconfidence on the part of the team. Like, oh, we just beat Penn State. Of course, we're going to beat Illinois. You know, whereas now we got our ass kicked by them last year. You know, those super seniors and the guys who played them last year are going to be wanting that revenge for sure. Um, so hopefully that makes our team more focused this time than they were last year, perhaps. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. But see, to me, because uh, you know what, I think you're hitting on something. I, I absolutely believe that that the commentary of, oh, you know, we took them a little too lightly. We weren't as prepared as we should have been. We didn't practice as well as we should have, et cetera, et cetera, is absolutely true. Those statements were all made after the loss, right? And but that set of circumstances, that mentality, is unfathomable to me. <laughs> How a team that has sucked as much as Nebraska could after one victory against a, 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 a mediocre Penn state team who hadn't found itself yet was struggling to figure out what their quarterback and their running back situation was and things like that. How a victory over that team would, would then lead to uh, a lackluster week of practice and preparation uh, for the, for your next game um, given the history, the recent history of Nebraska as a football team, it's, it's unfathomable that as a coaching staff and as a team with team leaders that you could do that. To me, it doesn't seem possible. Now, (laughs) if you're nine and O and you're going into a game and you think your shit doesn't stink. uh, Okay. I get that. That's upset time. Right. But not at all after that Penn state victory. And that is complete bullshit. You know, that is what's wrong with Scott's coaching. Okay. If he's not addressing that mental side of the game, then he's not being the coach that he needs to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I'm pretty sure we made similar comments back at the time as well. I, th- uh, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, so now comes our, our fun prediction time. Uh, what is your prediction for the score for the Nebraska-Illinois game next week? Okay. You know, until I read um, some of the um, practice reports from – from them and, and just reading up on their team and reading about all these super seniors. And so just all the returning starters they have and the, and looking at last year's game and how much they physically dominated us, especially late in the game. It scares the hell out of me. Uh, I was way more confident about this game two weeks ago than I am now. (laughs) Uh, And so, um, but I also know how important it is. And, and, uh, you know, as a guy who, you know, drinks the, the Husker Kool-Aid with some regularity, I am going to presume that this is 
step number one on the uh, on the recovery train of this season, and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna snatch the victory. Okay, I believe for us to do that though, we are gonna have to score a considerable number of points. I think that that uh, our defense, although it has seemed to be doing well and ahead of our offense all all during spring practice and and during this fall camp. I have a feeling that they're going to be shocked by how effective um, Illinois is against them because of Illinois' maturity in that offensive line. So I think they're going to score some points on us. So it's going to be a, a, a relatively high-scoring game. There's going to be some mistakes that lead to short fields. So I'm going to say uh, Nebraska wins it, not the way I want it, but uh, we're going to go um, um, like – 41 to 34. Okay. Fair enough. I think your uh, uh, proposal is uh, pretty on the money. I was just kind of thinking about that myself, that it could be a high-scoring game. Um, But I also think we could run into a situation where our defensive line is better than it was last year, and so their offense may not have the same success success against us, but vice versa with what you just said about our offensive line being young. Maybe we also don't have that same success that you were talking about, even if we do avoid the turnovers. Um, So I'll go uh, a little bit more low scoring. I'll go ahead and say that we win, um, let's say 35 Nebraska to um, 31 Illinois. Okay. You know, that's, that's a good, yeah. I'm very comfortable with that um, 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 prediction as well. Now, the the thing is, is that uh, if we get more of the same, you know, first game jitters, first game mistakes, fumbles, turnovers, you know, illegal procedure. I mean, our left tackle has not practiced all preseason. So, um, you know, and he's a freshman. (laughs) So the guy, you know, has had a little bit of spring practice. He played in the bowl, in the final game of the season when our left starting left tackle opted out. Um, right. So he's played in a total of one game, uh, and then uh, had some spring practice, and then has barely played in the fall camp. And now we're going to start him. Is that because so, of an injury? Yes. Right. And so the question is, is he going to be, you know? even remotely ready to play. You know, my hope is that they know this, that he's not, and that they may start him, let him get a series or two, and then get his ass out of there, get the backup in, who's been taking all the reps, and then maybe get him back in there for another couple of series, you know, early in the second half, so he gets a little bit more um, um, fitness and reps for next the next week's game. And then we have two two weeks of games that we hope we can win. And then you get a lot of reps for him over that time, assuming he stays healthy. Right. Right. So, so, uh, but, but uh, I mean, I'm just a little frightened about what that, what our offensive line is going to look like. Uh, And is, and is uh, our quarterback going to be running for his life again? And our running backs are going to be no holes. They're going to run and they're going to get no yardage. And then all of a sudden, we're just doing swing passes left and right. Yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. 
Um, yeah. One one last little note I wanted to make, um, which is somewhat outside of Nebraska, but uh, my alma mater, Ohio University, uh, the football oh, yeah. program has been coached by Frank Solich, uh, former Nebraska coach for many years now, and he did uh, officially retire this past summer. Um, and there's been a lot of goodwill towards him because he's the winningest coach in Ohio University football history. Um, and I know there's been some talk about Scott wanting to bring him back for a home game at Nebraska to honor him and that sort of stuff. So uh, we appreciate all the hard work you've done, Frank, and uh, I hope to see you at one of the games this year. There you go. That is so true. And You know, I think not only is he the winningest coach in uh, Ohio University uh, history, I believe he might be one of the winningest coaches, like certainly in the upper echelon of winningest coaches in MAC history, mm. the Mid-American Conference history. Right. Even though I think he, he maybe only won one conference championship right. or, or maybe not even one. I don't know. He was, he was like in the hunt almost every year, but he didn't win it very often. Right. We did go to the great Idaho Potato Bowl uh, before, yes. though. <laughs> I know. And, and, you know, he was enormously successful, very consistent and had a lot of really good teams. He just never had that one year that where he had enough talent to just, you know, collectively go completely over the hump and, 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 and be the champion, or maybe he did do it, but it was, like I said, only once. Right. Yeah. I think it was only the once. All right, but that'll wrap us up for today. Thank you all all yes. out there for listening to this podcast. Um, if you enjoyed listening, you can email us at huskrepeat13 at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to us uh, with a question to bring up on the air, we always love hearing from the fans. You also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, rate us, review us, leave a comment. We always love hearing from everybody. We're also on podomatic.com. So thank you all out there for listening. And we're all uh, crossing our fingers here for this upcoming Illinois game. So until next week, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.